gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller. And before we get to today's topic. I um, wanted to mention why we've missed a few weeks. I, I know that I mentioned earlier, I think in the summer or spring, or maybe it was even in the, in the beginning of spring that I would be missing some weeks. And uh, with moving, we the last few weeks, we flew back to Colorado and helped my mom pack up her house and then came back to Texas and we've had some other things um, going on. And so we just weren't able to record. And I was thinking about it in the four and a half years that I've been doing Theology Gals, I really haven't missed a lot. And Rachel, actually, this made me feel a little bit better. She said a lot of people take breaks. So this some people take off months. Yes, it is the true. Summer. There's Yep. So anyways, we, we are back and we actually have some um, some things planned in the future and uh, a guest or two that we're uh, working on. And we're going to talk today about something that Rachel and I have talked about privately and that the Algae Gals group admins we've talked about privately. And it's something that I have done so much thinking about. And so I'm going to be kind of transparent today about where or about this subject and and how I feel about it. And we're going to talk about what unites us and also kind of the current climate that we see out there. I've I've seen so many people talk about it. You know, you can't I've I haven't been on I haven't been on my Twitter account for a little bit because it's so hard. Um there's everything so polarizing and there's an extreme tribalism, almost like you need to pick a team and you can take almost any subject and, and throw it in there. We've talked a lot about the manhood womanhood stuff. Um, there's various culture wars, political um, COVID topics. And these things have separated Christians in horrible ways. I, I know people who've lost relationships because of some of these things. And I think we need to go back and and talk about why this is happening, but also talk about what we're called to as Christians and to remember that first and foremost, that we're united in Christ. Even when we disagree on things, even when we disagree on things that are really important to us and not saying we can't disagree, but just that we need to disagree well. So 
I want to first just talk about what unites us. One of the things that we focused on a lot on this podcast, when I think when Rachel and I really draw a line in the sand, it's on important things. And that's the gospel and the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. If you find anything we've made a super big deal about, it's going to go back to those things. Now, there are some social things that we talk about that we make a big deal about because we think it's so important in the church, like abuse. Um, and But we've really chosen chosen our hills to die on, so to speak. So, let's just first talk about the gospel. And, and Rachel, we have seen, even in our circles, a perversion of the gospel at times. Um, you know, one of the things I think that's important for us as Christians, we talk about, you know, what, what unites us, what's essential. Um, it really is important, even for those of us who are, who are more broadly evangelical and not as aware of like the confessions and creeds, but there are certain things like the, um, uh, Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, these are things that are really outline the essentials, like the things that if you don't believe these things, you know, you're you're outside historic, historical, orthodox Christianity. Right? The, the, these are dividing lines that were made, you know, not in a sense of, you know, we'll talk tribalism in a minute, but just in a sense of here's what scripture teaches, here's what it means to be a Christian, here are the essential doctrines. And when you read through it, there are very important doctrines there, but there's a lot of, of things that aren't covered. And I think it's helpful for us when we're thinking about, is this essential or is it not, that we go back and look at some of those things and say, okay, so what what is and what isn't essential? You, I, I just was reminded on another episode, we talked about the um, – that article that Al Mohler did, which is is a great article where he talks about kind of the essential doctrines and second and third tier doctrines. And those, I don't have it in front of me, but those, when you get to those second tier doctrines, those things are, are going to determine which church you go to, um, like baptism, what you believe about baptism or soteriology and stuff like that. We're Presbyterians because of our views on those things. But then you get to those third tier. And I think a, I actually think a lot of the kind of tribalism is due to a third tier. Um, yeah, I haven't been at my new church for a long time, but I would venture to guess, as it's been the case in every reformed church I've been in, that among the congregation, there's different views on eschatology, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um and and there are other things too that that fall fall into into those things. But I I have I have a few long time best friends, and one of them I've been friends with for um, over forty years. One of them I've been friends with um, I don't know almost almost thirty years from my friend from college. And one of them I've been friends with for uh, 25 years. And one of them goes to Falwell's church um, in at Liberty. I, I don't know if it's at Liberty. So, But she and I agree on the essential doctrines of the Christian faith and the gospel. And one of them is kind of Calvinistic, um, with a little charismatic and one of them is Nazarene. And you know what? It doesn't matter because they're still my best friends. Um, because we do, we, because our un- unity is in Christ and those essential doctrines in the gospel. You know, I was thinking about this. I have, I have good friends, family members that are on all sorts of, different places in like the political spectrum. They come from all sorts of different backgrounds as far as where they fit in, um, in, in Christian circles, whether they are in conservative, like Christian, or if they're Presbyterian, if they're Baptist, if they're fairly liberal or progressive Christians, like they, they come from all over the place. And it is possible to have pleasant conversations about things. And even as we'll talk about this, even have fruitful debate and discussion and disagreement. But we just need to be very careful about how we treat others 
as we discuss and disagree. Yeah, that that right there is key. I and my family is very much like that. And I actually want to give credit to my parents for demonstrating this so well, being such an example to me. You know, I often look at our Thanksgiving table. I mean, from the time I was young, and it it's like a mishmash of all sorts of things, you know. There's an atheist over here and a Reformed Jew, which is kind of a, a, a lot of them are agnostic over here. And, you know, uh, I I happened to see a clip. Some guys, I, I couldn't even tell you their names. It just came across what I was doing. And I, and they were talking about that, that they knew a lot of people that in the last couple of years have even broken relationships with their family over some of these different things. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, why would you give up your most intimate relationship over some of these topics? I, that just really stuck out to me even, and he's, this wasn't a Christian, it wasn't from a Christian perspective, but I thought about that in relation to our relationships at the church. Um, I mean, we, we are, we're family, we've all been redeemed by the Lord um, we will be in eternity together. Oh, Not to make light of it. It's, it's like the old joke about, you know, the people in heaven and, um, oh, you know, that group, they didn't realize that there's anybody else here, right? They thought, right. <laughs> I'm just telling the joke badly, but I'm sure you all know the one I'm talking about. And Yeah, you know, there's like, ooh, be quiet, shh. The Lutherans right. are in there. They don't think anyone else is here or something. Or like, the Baptists know, are in there. Or the Baptists or the, or the Nazarenes. Or whoever, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, the, the Always joke depends works. On- Who's telling telling the joke? I, and as a side note, my husband's family is Norwegian, mine is Swedish. And when I first got to know his family, they told these jokes about the Swedes, and it was the exact same jokes we told about the Norwegians. And so, we we grew up hearing them as Aggie jokes, so you know. <laughs> so you you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I told Rachel, I've told Rachel, and told her even earlier today that we as Christians should do better. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Obviously, you all you have to do is go on Twitter for about three minutes and you'll see how polarizing, and I apologize for my dog making noise in the background, but how polarizing everything is. And But we're no different um, as Christians in how polarizing we've become too. So next we're going to talk, I, I wrote this heading, Polarizing Tribalism, because I I was tr- I knew uh, what I wanted to talk about here, and I had a hard time fully putting it all down in words for our notes. But but that's that's what I see right now. Um, let me tell you a little story. I have people that were my friends that have broken ties with me because of my views on men and women, and and that that was the one thing that actually got me thinking about this the most. And so let me tell you, um, and I'm just being transparent and honest about it. Rachel and I have come out and said, I mean, if you've listened any length of time, you know this, but we've come out and said, "Mm, we've got some concerns with complementarianism and here's our concerns. And automatically people are like, oh, they're feminist egalitarian. Even though we say things like, we believe only qualified men should be pastors and elders. Uh, we believe that husbands should love their wives and wives submit to their husbands. We we believe these things, but within complementarianism, we think that there are things that are not biblical. But see, that is enough to stray from the tribe that you will be automatically um, accused and painted as the other. That's why mm-hmm. people will say that we're feminist egalitarians. I mean, I, it's funny to me a little bit because it's not true, but that this is the sort of thing I'm talking about. You could put almost any, any, any topic in the last year who you voted for, what your opinion on various COVID things, mm-hmm. these things have separated Christians and it shouldn't. That mm-hmm. Stuff like that should not be a breaking point between us. And well, I certainly think, I think it's gotten worse. Um, in the last, you know, say decade. Um, yes, absolutely. But, you know, Colleen and I were talking a little earlier, 
you know, we started having kids around the same time she had them, some of hers before me, but in that same time range of, of uh, people thinking about, you know, how to raise your kids and how to, you know, do you breastfeed, do you attachment parenting or do you, you know, baby wise, all A of these ideas feed or schedule feed, or right? All know. of those things. So, you know, I can remember that was in a lot of ways, like my first experience with the, 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 that type of mommy tribalism, like you had to find your people. Like you, uh, I think I wrote about it one time. It's like the scene in uh, Terminator. You did two. write about it. Yeah. Get a link when um, he comes in and he's looking, he like sizes up guys looking for somebody who has the right size clothes so you can wear them. And, but we, we meet people like that. And we size them up. Like, do you, you know, what are your views on, on, uh, on childbirth? Is it natural parenting or drugs? Are you going to do attachment parenting or baby wise? Are you going to demand feed? Right. Or you know, all of these things you know, are you organic? Or are you, you cloth diapering or paper diapering? Like what all of these things that you, you line them up and you go, okay, well, you you don't meet enough of my similarities. So we can't be friends. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, a good and, and we feel very strongly. And yes, I understand we're all trying to do the right thing by our families. We're trying to make good decisions and we have good reasons for the decisions we've made. Uh, but they should not be the things that separate us as, as believers should not be the thing that separate us from our neighbors. Um, we should be able to discuss and enjoy each other. You disagree even, but politely. Yes, it, ex- it, that's, that's so true. And um, people that may be younger than us may not know that in the nineties, there was this, um, especially in the 90s, I think early 2000s. People are probably familiar with Baby Wise, but there was a Christian version. And this Christian version asserted that this is the only godly way to raise children. And and that kind of almost um, created a tribalism, Mm -hmm. like were the people doing it the right way? And part of it is how judgmental that we are. If I choose to um, demand feed, for whatever reasons that I choose that and somebody else chooses to schedule feed, I should assume the best that they have thought this through and they've made an informed decision and are seeking wisdom Um, Mm -hmm. instead of, well, obviously she's not a good mom, not doing it like me because, you know, I'm, I'm a good mom over here. And I'm sure Rachel, you would agree that even between your first child and your third, you even change how you do some things. (laughs) So many things are different. (laughs) Because I'm older and I don't care as much anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and, yeah. and figured out what things matter and what things don't matter as much yes. now. And um, all of us go through all of us go yeah. through that. I think I maybe told this story before, but at our our PCA, I was pregnant with my second child, and uh, a friend of mine had like a nine month old baby, and it was around Christmas time. And I only have this one child who I'm doing everything right, you know, only organic, making all the food, blah, blah, blah. And her and she's um, holding her child and the child is sucking on a candy cane. And I must have had a very obvious um, look on my face, like of being horrified. And she looked at me, she goes, it's my sixth child. (laughs) (laughs) And You know what? That actually that actually influenced me like, hmm. Maybe I make it too big a deal out of some little things. Is her child well, really ruined for sucking on a candy cane? It's like the, the thing they say about you know the most about parenting before you have children. Right? And you realize you don't know anything about what you really wanted to do. Uh, it's, it's everything it's, you thought. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it goes beyond, it goes beyond parenting um, with these kinds of things that we, you know, right now, or especially lately, you know, any kind of political discussion, any kind of discussion. I mean, even can be discussions about um, authors, right? Is you know, do you let, do you read this this kind of book or that kind of book, or do you let uh, your children read certain? Do you authors let your kids or, read Harry Potter? There's a good one. <laughs> do you watch these movies or not, or these shows? And um, you know, this it's a lot of judgment and a lot of judgmentalism. Um, you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated uh, about our pastor, uh, Todd, talking about these things, um, 
repentance. He talks about the fact that all of us as believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling. And for that reason, then all of us are responsible directly to God for the decisions that we make. And we have the same Spirit indwelling us, leading us, right, working in our hearts, sanctifying us. And the decisions that we make on things that are Christian liberty, I mean, obviously some things are right and wrong. Some things are obvious. Yes. There's not a question about, you know, should you murder? No, right? Should you, you know, should you commit adultery? No. Should you steal? No. These are things that are obvious, yes, yes or no, right? But on the things that are Christian liberty, the things that are are not those straightforward decisions, we're going to have to make up our minds. We're going to have to do it through thought and prayer and decision-making with people that we trust. And then we're responsible to God for what we do, but they're personal decisions and there should be more, more grace towards those who disagree with us on them. Let me ask you a question, Rachel. Have you changed mm-hmm. your views on anything in the last 20 years? <laughs> on so many things in the last <laughs> okay. 20 years, but nothing and- of the fundamentals. Right. Nothing of the fundamentals, but there are a lot of secondary or even third tier or just social issues and stuff like that, that Mm -hmm. we, I don't know anyone who can't look back and be like, okay, I've, I've changed. And thankfully, I think some of that is because of the Lord's sanctifying work in us and growing in wisdom and things like that. Um, But remember that when you have somebody that you may disagree with on some of these things, Mm -hmm. um, Maybe you are right about your view, and that's possible. But having patience, I one thing that isn't helpful is if you come if you come up over and attack somebody because you think they're wrong, it's only going to make them defensive and probably going to cause them to dig their feet in further, not necessarily listen to what you have to say. So learning how to have um, some fruitful conversations. So, one of the things that I've noticed is there are social issues ha- that have become the unifying factor for people above everything else. And so what, secondary doctrines too, and you know whether it's politics, who you vo- voted for becomes the most important thing um, or exactly where you stand on manhood and womanhood becomes the most important thing. That becomes what unifies you above all else particular issue, social issue, um, a certain issue with that you feel very passionately about. Um, and anyone who does, who may share your concerns, but not agree with the approach, right. Um, that you find you, you just can't have anything to do with someone because they don't agree about everything. You know, that's, we should be careful about that. Um, uh, and I'll give an example, right. I am fully pro-life, um, womb to tomb pro-life. Um, do I necessarily agree with everybody else who says they're pro-life? Not necessarily. Um, we might focus on different things. Someone might decide that the way that they're going to, to express their pro-life views is to volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center, which is a great thing to do. That may be the thing that they, they find most valuable in approaching pro-life. Someone else might um, decide that they are going to work on legislation. Someone else may decide to do um, to help low-income families. There's there's lots of ways that you can approach being pro-life and different aspects, and that's true for all social issues. We can all agree that you know something this thing is a good thing or that thing is a bad thing, but how we approach it or what we do about it or what we feel called to do about it may be different. That's a that's a great example, Rachel. And even within the pro-life movement, you have people that are abolitionists and people incrementalists and things like that. And there's even even within that, oh, I can't work with you because you don't believe exactly like I do and how abortion should be dealt with um, in the government or things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. It, so one of the things I've said this probably a gazillion times, mm-hmm. I was um, listening to somebody talk about another podcast and it happens to be a podcast I like. And this guy said, well, I like his podcast, but he repeats himself a lot. And I go, Hmm, people might say that about me too, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, one of the things I have said, like for the last couple of years is that I have witnessed where these, uh, secondary or 
even, you know, second tier, third tier social issues, you know, name it, have been elevated as essential doctrines to some people. It's why people have cut ties with me because I don't line up perfectly with the tribe on manhood and womanhood. Um, but then things that are are essential, are important, are almost overlooked. So somebody agrees with you on politics. Oh, it's not a problem if they believe in federal vision. You know, we, we're on the same page on this social issue or things like that. I think we've got to be really, really careful mm-hmm. um, about remembering what things are most important. And, and what we're not saying is that we're not saying these other things aren't important. They, they are important. They're important to a lot of us. Um, but it's more in how we navigate our relationships in the church based on these things that mm-hmm. we need to be mindful of. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, when talking about the polarization and the how it's it's getting worse. Um, you know, that's. I think we've probably already mentioned, but just wanted to to reemphasize this that um, it gets the point that you know that you have to pick a side. There are only two sides and the two sides are diametrically opposed and both consider the other um, the enemy. And and there's no room to, to kind of nuance it from the middle to, yep. to see and to, to, to dialogue, to, to talk about where we could agree or disagree. Um, it's just, straightforward you must pick a side you must be one or the other and you know like you were saying about um you know, agreeing with someone over culture wars even though we disagree um on like you say ess or um federal vision and and that's where you know going back to the essentials that's where it gets backwards um the things that are essential doctrines, the Trinity, the gospel, um, these are things that, as believers, that we we can't just agree to disagree over. These are really, really, really important. Um, the culture wars are a place where we should be more discerning about how we get involved and what we are aligning with uh, when we do get involved. Not that we don't care about the issues, because I think it's important to say we do, we do care about what's going on in our culture, what's happening to people and to things around us, and it's 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 proper to have have thoughts and ideas about these things. But when we align ourselves very closely, um, we should be be careful about how we do that uh, and what we are associating with. Yeah, I'll tell a little story here. Um, I. I was in the past very involved in politics. I still am. I just don't go talk about it on Twitter and stuff like that. But, um, and so back during the McCain Obama um, election, I volunteered for the McCain campaign and did um, some stuff in my state. And um, in church on Sunday at my Orthodox Presbyterian church, there were cars with Obama stickers. And you know what? We still loved each other. (laughs) respected Mm -hmm. each other. And I'm so thankful for that, that I did learn a lot at that church about it being okay to be different on, on some of these issues. And that's okay. It's okay. Um, I don't know who people in my church voted for, and I don't really care actually. And I know some people are probably because that's become so, uh, if you're Christian, you only vote this way and stuff like that. Um, and I've heard but, that from multiple directions, right? It, Christians. right? And it happens. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let me tell you, I'll even say something I witnessed um, this last year. And boy, it's going to be real transparent here. But I, I, there were some people that said, if you're a Christian, you'll only vote for this person. And there was a group of people that are like, that's horrible. You can't say that, blah, 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 blah. But then they turned around and did almost the same thing from the other direction. And so we have to kind of be careful not to do that from any direction. Uh, one of the things I did this last year, and just kind of a personal project, 
is I went out and I started listening to podcasts of people that I knew I disagreed with. And I did it on purpose because I said, I want to know why um, this person is an anarchist. I, I want to hear, be, instead of just assume, assuming that somebody with a different view is just stupid and hasn't thought through it, no, they, they probably have. So listen to them, hear them out, don't agree with them. But I understand, and I hadn't ever taken the time to listen to some people that I disagreed with to hear why they believe what they want to believe. Like I, I really hadn't done a good job of that, but, but that's another side of this is taking time. Okay. Why, why do you believe that differently? I want to hear and understand why you do. We, we may walk away disagreeing, but I want to understand why you believe differently. Um, because mo- a lot of people who have views on different things have thought them through mm-hmm. and we should assume the best of, of them. You know, one of the things that Colleen and I were talking about earlier is that, you know, we have some friends, each, both of us do, that um, are, are not believers, but, and we disagree with them on a variety of things, but they're, they're committed to having open discussions. Like they, they want to understand the other side. They want to be uh, respectful and empathetic and kind, and they're willing to listen and hear. And they are, are doing a better job of, of that in their public discussions than many Christians are right now. Um, and I say that to our shame as Christians, that we need to be doing a better job about this. I actually happened on um, a YouTube video. I probably, I don't know why it came up on my feed, but I happened on this YouTube video and I clicked on it, just curious what they were talking about. And on one side, it was a guy who calls himself far left. The other side um, is somebody who is extremely conservative. And they said in the beginning of the conversation, wow, we don't agree on much. And then they proceeded to have this delightful two-hour discussion. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched quite a bit of it. And one of the things they said is if we can find something that we agree on, we can respect each other in our disagreements. And I thought that was really helpful um, with with my best friends, we have things that we agree on and we therefore respect each other in our disagreements. Mm-hmm. The, the cutting ties and stuff that I, I just, even in our disagreements, um, let me say that what we're not saying, just to be clear, there are things that are a big deal. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the end. There are times to make a big deal. But one of the things in my own life, the last couple of years in reading scripture, that even when somebody is very wrong, there are still things that I am called to as a Christian. It doesn't change Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, only such a word as is good for edification according Mm -hmm. to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. I did that from head, so I probably got a little bit of it wrong. But those things are still true. And unwholesome words does not just mean cuss words, but it has to do with the way that we talk to, um, you know, edifying words and um, being gracious in our language. So even when someone is very wrong, and we know that they're very, very wrong, we are still called to that. And um, we're, we're going to go over some verses because I this is what's been helpful to me, even when I might even be angry with someone. Um, even when I may think that they're absolutely 100% wrong, I am still called to live as a Christian um, in the way that I respond and interact. You know, one of my, uh, my favorites, I'm looking for it, from Romans 12, and Paul says, um, you know, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, do not be wise in your own estimation, never pay back evil for evil to anyone, respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Um, and then of course, the last verse of that, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Every time I'm 
very sorely tempted to really get into it. I try to go back to that passage um, because it's just straightforward. How, how are we going to live with people? And Paul was talking to people who were living in a pagan culture, who were surrounded by people who wanted to kill them for being Christian. And he says, here's how to live. Yeah, I love that one. And for me, as a mom, when I was raising my kids, that was a popular passage that we would go to. Sometimes brothers don't get along or things like that. And that one was always helpful there. I was reading First Peter 1 this morning, and I hadn't mm. put anything in our notes. But um, the end of that chapter, always just every time I read it, sticks out to me. Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. So, because of what Christ has done for us, because we are redeemed, we need to fervently love one another. Brother's wrong. <laughs> exactly. Our unity in uh, in scripture is a theme our unity in christ in the scriptures it's a theme that is over and over and over again emphasized uh, if you do a search in any of the modern translations for one another um it's so many passages so many verses and just what we to pray for each other encourage one one another love one another um it, it's that unity that we're called to uh, because we're being built up by the spirit. This is a supernatural thing that as we know, as Christians, we know this, that we would not do this on our own. We would not unite together and love each other as we should without the work of the spirit, but we have the work of the spirit. And so we should look forward to this kind of unity with each other. And there, there is something very special about the intimacy that we um, have with our own families, with our moms and our dads and siblings and other family members. Mm. And we, we know from scripture that our, our unity in Christ, the, the family of God is even greater than our earthly family. Mm. Um, and I, the, I remember years ago when I was reading first Peter one, it was another another version I was reading at the time, I'm not sure, but it said love the part about fervently. It said, love one another deeply. And I, I really reflected, who do I love deeply? Mm. Um, my children, my husband, my parents, I love, I love them deeply. And what does that look like for me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ deeply? It's not always easy. <laughs> not, not always easy. I, I know that. Other passage that I like in First Corinthians twelve, it talks about us being uh, one body and many members, and it just goes on and on through it and talks about how you know we can't just say you know because I'm a, a, a hand I don't need the feet or because I'm a foot I don't need the eye or you know that we're all we need all parts of us, and the part that I think is important in this discussion is um, starting with verse twenty two. Uh, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and on our presentable members become much more presentable, etc. So, the idea being that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Uh, when we, even when we disagree, even if somebody's wrong. Even if we're the one that's wrong, we're bearing with each other because we need each other as as parts of the body. And even if someone is wrong and they're they're clearly wrong on, on an issue, because they're our brother and sister in Christ, we 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 cover that with the love that we have for them um, because we are one body. I. Uh a friend of ours, an old friend of ours, that's an OPC pastor. Um, we had talked about some of this like years ago. We were talking specifically about Brent and I were trying to figure out how to navigate the teetotalers in our um, mm. lives. And we have m many in our family. A lot of them are gone to be with Me the too. Lord now. And 
so we were talking to him about um, do do we try to convince them that um, you know how, how much do we try to talk to them and say you know this is why we don't think it's wrong and things like that and and there there are some people that criticize me when I teetotalers come in my house I hit all the alcohol in the back of my mm-hmm. closet because it wasn't worth it. Um, you know, my grandparents grew up in prohibition and I, I needed to be sensitive to that. They, you know, they're in their seventies, eighties, nineties, they believed that their, their whole lives. It, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal that they thought it was wrong, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and he talked about, there are times where you need to come alongside your brother and help them along when there are serious Mm -hmm. errors, there are Mm -hmm. times for that, but we still need to be wise and gracious and patient and respectful in the way we go about it. So there definitely are times, um, that you may have a conversation and say, you know, here's what I think scripture does teach and. And things like that. Um, but it's still about being mindful of the way we do it. Uh, one of the things I think about a lot is how to have fruitful discussions about our disagreements. There's not a lot of fruitful discussions. It's you're an idiot because you believe this different thing than me, or what I go on Twitter anyways, or sometimes mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, but there are ways to have fruitful discussions. Uh about our disagreements. I another great example to me has been my um, my brother in law and his his family. We'd go to his dad's house, and we're like the only Reformed people with a bunch of Lutherans. And these are Lutherans that are pastors and professors at Concordia and things like that. So they're talking theology all the time. But they were always so kind and respectful about the disagreements. I mean, you know, even theological, you go and there's you know, like Reformed versus Lutheran group on Facebook. And it's just ugly, you know, because it's like, well, you're wrong, you know, almost talking, mocking people, talking to them like they're stupid and stuff like that. But that's not really fruitful. What that, what it did for me or what it has done for me, um, having these people in my life is I understand why they believe what they do. I disagree, but I do understand why they do. And it's helped me to be more respectful of them and their views. Yeah. Even though I still think they're wrong. <laughs> well, sure. And, you know, another passage, I think, um, you know, people talk about, you know, the, the weaker brother one. And naturally, we always think of uh, whoever disagrees with us as they're the one who is the weaker brother on this issue. Right. We Truthfully, sometimes we are, sometimes they are. It, it it's hard to be objective about it. Um, and we, we also, Matt and I, we didn't have um, alcohol. We didn't have drinking or dancing at our wedding because it would have offended too many of our family members to make it worthwhile. Um, right. It just wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the doing that to them because they care very deeply about it. And I didn't care that deeply about it, if that makes sense. Um, yes. To, to argue for it. Um. Uh, from 1 Corinthians 8, uh, it says, you know, it's talking about whether or not to uh, eat food that's been uh, sacrificed to an idol. Um, and, you know, you know, Paul says, you know, there's liberty there. There's nothing about the food itself um, that's defiled. It says, but if, if your conscience says you can't, then don't because you don't go against your conscience on it. And, you know, if you have a brother who, who feels that way about it, be, be gentle be careful about it. Um, and I like the fact that it points out if someone sees you and knows that, that what you're doing and it, they realize that you are eating something that they think is wrong, then, you know, is it worth hurting them in, in doing it? Um, and it, so it says, for though your knowledge, or sorry, for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. And of course, Paul is not literally saying there, don't eat meat. He's not saying never drink alcohol. But he's just saying that it's more important, the relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, 
than these these other things which are matters of of liberty. And Romans 14 has very very similar discussion. Um I'll just read a little part of it. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not to have quarrels over opinions. Wow, a little convicting. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but the one who is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. So, and that that whole chapter kind of has a similar discussion that, and I, that's one I find very helpful in what we're mm. talking about too. Well, where does this leave us? I know even in my own thinking about this, I know one thing I think to myself as well, I'm willing to do it just as other people over there. Um, <laughs> but you know, anyone who's raised kids and you're like, okay, be kind to your brother, but he's not kind to me. You know, um, mm-hmm. it, it's sometimes easy to have that same attitude. Well, he was a jerk to me, so I'm just going to be a jerk back to him. But we are still called to these things. I love your idea about looking up all the one another passages. That's a great exercise to go through. Um, I haven't done that in a while. That's a great idea, Rachel. One of my kids when we were talking about the you know treat each other how to treat each other and you know treat others the way you would like to be treated and one of mine said well but if he treats me that way then he must want to be treated that way so i'm like that's not how that works Uh, so if your brother's mean to you that doesn't mean you can be mean to him because well that's how he wants to be treated that's no 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 (laughs) Um, but we see a lot of that, you know, but, but the other side, the what about ism and, but the other side did X, Y, Z. So, you know, it's okay that I'm following up in the same way. And that's not what we're called to. Our standard is not each other. Um, our standard is Christ and he's a perfect standard. And, you know, we, when we compare ourselves and how we've behaved, it should never be to, well, I, I did better than this other person. You know, that's not, that's again, it's not our standard. Our standard is Christ. Yeah, um, we're pretty good at that. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they started it. Right. Um, you brought up, I'm so glad you did, the the sometimes attributed to Augustine quote, but, you know, we don't know for sure who said it. Mm-hmm. The in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity which is really the heart of what we're talking about here today. Yeah. And I know that's a, that's a very often quoted um, quote, but I think it, I think it just sums up so well um, what we're talking about. And I think what we're called to as Christians, mm-hmm. even when those other people over there, they're being mean, they're mocking you they're misrepresenting you or any number of things still seek unity. You may be an example to somebody in, in doing that. Um, I've had people in my life that I've witnessed be amazing peacemakers and, and wise and how they approach things. And they've been an example to me. Um, an example of Christ to me. I I kind of came up with a little a little thing. Part of it is from an episode. Part of it is from an episode, but that we did early early in the podcast with the Lutheran, and we talked about how can we disagree while still being mindful that that we're part of the same church. Do so with respect and honesty. One of the things he said, and I think it's a good one, major in the majors, minor in the minors. There are things to make a big deal about. Rachel and I have made a big deal about some things on this very podcast. But even when we've done that, we've been very, very careful in how we navigate that. Listen, listen to the other person. Maybe you don't understand what they believe as well as you think you do. Hear them out. You you may still disagree but I find it incredibly helpful to listen to somebody and understand why they believe what they do. It helps me to be more respectful. Oh, they really have thought this through. They really do have reasons for 
um, why they believe what they do. I mentioned just an example that I went and listened to this anarcho-capitalist um, guy, because I'm like, I, I just want to understand what he believes. I have someone in my life that claims that view, so I, I just want to understand it better. Well, guess what? He was born in the Soviet Union. He has mm. very specific reasons why he believes what he believes. And hearing him out, I I understand better where he's coming from. I can respect what he believes, even if I don't agree. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of putting it. I can respect, even though I disagree. Um, and I think that's that's where, you know, it and it is so so very tempting. And I'm not saying that I'm I'm good at at being careful with this. It's so very tempting to be snarky. To, to pull off a, a quick snide remark or make fun of someone on the opposite side of, an, of a disagreement. And I think we should be careful about that. I mean, not we all like to poke fun and to enjoy things and, and there's room for humor. Yeah. But I think we need to be careful that we're not coming off, uh, coming across as callous and unkind as those who mock and ridicule others and, and, it's especially for us as believers. I think we need to be very careful. Yeah. And I'm glad you said the word mock because mock is kind of making fun of somebody in a mean way. I don't remember the exact dictionary different definition. So there's, there's a time I have um, like with my Lutheran friends, we, we joke with each other um, on our differences, but in a lighthearted way, that's different than mocking somebody in a mean way, almost like you're trying to score a point. Um, that that's the thing we should try to avoid. And I'm very good at it. So I, this is to me too. I, I'm very tempted to say things I shouldn't say, but most important, this is really the, the point of all of this is to remember that our unity in Christ is greater than our disagreements on these things. It's greater than who you voted for and what your opinion on COVID is or your view on baptism, you know, these, we are still united in Christ with people that disagree with us on those things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I hope that you'll consider what we have to say. I, I would love to see Christians do better, to disagree better, um, to be more respectful of one another, to be more mindful of our unity in Christ. Uh, I, I hope I can do better in these things also. Me too. So. Well, thank you for joining us. We'll um we will be back next week. Bye.